chapter 7. If you want to turn with me there, we're continuing through the book of Genesis. And Genesis chapter 7 is where we would be at. So I'll give you a chance to turn there. And um, in doing so, I want to point out a couple things as we, as we begin. Um, actually, you know what? I just want to read the chapter first and then, and then I'll go over some things. So, Genesis chapter 7. It says, tells us in verse 1, it says, Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. You shall take with you seven, each of every clean animal, a male and his female, two of each animal that are unclean, a male and his female. Also, verse 3, each, or also seven, each of birds of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive on the face of the earth. For after seven more days, I will cause it to rain on the earth forty days and forty nights, and I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. And Noah did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah, verse 6, was 600 years old when the flood waters were on the earth. So Noah, with his sons, his wife, his sons' wives, went into the ark because of the waters of the flood of clean animals of animals that are unclean, of birds, and of everything that creeps on the earth. Two by two, they went into the ark. Male, or to the ark to Noah, male and female, as God commanded Noah. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were on the earth in the 600th year of Noah's life. In the second month of the 17th day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. And the rain was on the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day, Noah and Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and, three, and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast after its kind, all cattle after their kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, and every bird after its kind, every bird of every sort. And they went into the ark to Noah, two by two, of all flesh in which is the breath of life. So, those who entered, male and female, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. Now the flood was on the earth forty days. The waters increased and lifted up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed great and greatly increased on the earth, and the ark moved about on the surface of the waters. And the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth, and all the high hills until the whole heaven were, were covered. Verse 20, the waters prevailed 15 cubits upward and the mountains were covered. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds and cattle and beasts and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth and every man. All in whose nostrils was the breath of the Spirit of life. All that was on dry land died. So verse 23, He, God, destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping thing and bird of the air. And they were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this account. And it's so detailed, Lord, that it seems repetitive here. But we know that there's a purpose and a reason for all this great detail. And 
in this event. And, and Lord, that's even, it's even revealed to us in the fact that so many men today want to deny what took place all those years ago. They want to deny, God, that, that you're in control. They want to deny, God, that you're a God who, 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 who will judge and who did judge uh, the evil that was upon the earth. And they want to deny the fact that you saved Noah and his family. But all these things, God, testify to the times that we're living in, and, and they testify to us of the salvation that we've received through your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray, God, as we see that Noah was a man who was um, secure in you, whose safety was in you, that we would see, Lord, that no matter what goes on in the world around us today, that we're safe in you, that we're secure in you. Father, give us this comfort and this peace today that brings a joy in spite of whatever storm we're facing, in spite of, God, whatever difficulty or trial that we're going through. Lord, we love You and we're grateful, God, that we can be here together to worship You and to study Your Word. We believe that Your Word is truth, that it is the truth. And God, help us to apply it to our lives today by Your Holy Spirit as You teach us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alright guys, um, as, we, as we prepare to go through this chapter that we just read, I want to briefly remind all of us that... Um, that last week as we finished chapter 6, there were some things of importance that we went through that carry on into this next chapter. And in the last half of chapter 6, we were told about what kind of a person Noah was. Not just what kind of a person Noah was, but what kind of a person Noah was in spite of the very corrupt times that he was living in. And when we see how the world today is much like it was in the days of Noah, or when De in Noah's day, when God poured out this judgment on the earth, we see by Noah's example, really what kind of people we need to be in spite of the very corrupt times that we're now living in. And according to back in chapter 6, verse 9, we're told that Noah was a just man. It says that he was a righteous man. And, 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 and we know that Noah's righteousness or the fact that he was seen as just before God, and this was accounted to him because of his faith, because of his faith, <clears throat> to do or to obey or to comply with the words of God, the words that God spoke to him, in that Noah did everything that God commanded. Furthermore, we're also told in verse 9 that Noah was a perfect man or a blameless man, specifically in all of his generations. And last week I pointed out that this does not mean that Noah was a sinless man. Rather, it means that he was a man of integrity. And because he had this right relationship with God, if you remember I, I spoke about that that, that, that he being blameless, that he had right relationships with those around him as he lived his life in a way that his neighbors could not find any fault in him. In addition to this, we're also, we also read that, that Noah was a faithful man, a man who, who faithfully worked for God, doing everything that God had commanded him, even though the construction of the ark took over 120 years to complete and this steadfast faithfulness that, that Noah exampled was the outflow of what he believed to be true about God. In other words, the actions of his faith were the outflow of what he believed to be true about God, meaning God's existence, God's revealed word to him, and God's proven character, the things that God had shown to Noah in the past. 
And, and when we take a look at the world around us and consider the times that we're living in today, which is, as you guys are probably well aware of, which is inviting the impending judgment of God, you know, we should seek to be like Noah and be steadfast servants of God who shine like lights into this darkness that's prevailing around us and be the voices of God that, that cry out for people to repent and to be saved from the judgment that is to come. Now, if you look with me to chapter 7, and, and we look at these first verses, I point all of these things out as a way of reminder, because in chapter 7, we see another very important attribute about Noah, or another attribute of Noah, and it was, as I kind of already spoke about in my prayer, it's the fact that Noah was a secure man who patiently waited upon God. He was a secure man who patiently waited upon God. And because Noah knew that he was secure in the Lord's hands, he, wait, he could patiently wait. It enabled him to. It equipped him to. When he knew that God was in control. In other words, when Noah received God's word, he did what God said. And in doing so, Noah didn't impulsively rush ahead of God and seek to do things in a way that seemed right to him, nor did Noah drag his feet and have to be, be coerced or, or drug along into the place of obedience like perhaps a stubborn mule has to be drugged into compliance? And, 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 and really, this was the foundational reason for why we are told back in chapter 6, verse 9, that Noah was a man who walked with God. I love that illustration. It wasn't that Noah was walking in front of God or that he was, he was lagging behind God. He walked with God side by side. He walked with God. And in doing so, we see that, that Noah allowed for God to arrange his schedule. And that's such a good reminder because often, I don't know about you, I have a plan for my life. And not only have a long-term plan for my life and the way that I think things should go or how they should go, I have a short-term plan for my life, which is often on a day-to-day -day basis where I wake up and I go, okay, I got this to do, I got that to do. And I set about it and the next thing I know, God's redirecting the way that I should go. Mostly because I'm going in a way that seems right to me. Or I'm getting ahead of God. And, and God's always faithful to do that, but when, when, when we're walking with God, we're allowing Him on a day-to-day -day basis to arrange our schedule. To take peace in the fact that sometimes when we think we're going to go here and do this, that we end up doing that and trusting that God's in control the whole time. You know, and really, this reminds me of Psalm 32. It's one of my favorite psalms. It's a psalm that David penned. And, and, and the words that David penned were the words of God who said, God saying in verses 8 through 9, he says this, he said, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with a bit and a bridle, else they will not come near to you. I haven't spent a lot of time on a horse, and I understand how that works, but I, I do relate to that being guided by your father's eye. You know, guys and, and, and gals, I don't know if you remember, if you played any sports, that's one of the things that I was familiar with, is, is you could be out in the outfield, and like I often was when, we, when I was in Little League Baseball, and, and I could be goofing around, and I, could, and, and, and I knew the coach was, was not happy, but I, I really didn't care. But the moment that I saw my dad's eye, you know, looking at me, and I would catch his eye, I could tell exactly what he wanted and what he wanted me to do just by the look of his eye. 
And, 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 and being in such fellowship with God, in such closeness with God like Noah was, where he was really led by the eye of God. He didn't need to be bitted or bridled up to be led around. He just looked at God, heard God, and knew what God wanted, and he did it. And that's the, that's the relationship that God desires to have for us. He doesn't want to harness us with a bit or a bridle. He wants to guide us with his eye, because in that, people see that type of relationship. They see that we follow God uh, willfully, wantingly, and it's an attractive thing. Now, in the first 10 verses of this chapter that we read, some of the detailed things that God had instructed Noah to do are given to us. You know, very detailed things, as, as, as you guys probably noticed as we read through it. But one of the overlying things that we see through this process is we see, and we also read of the waiting. The waiting that Noah did on God as God did what he promised he would do. For example, we read in verse 1 that God was the one who called Noah and his family into the ark. God said, it's time. Noah could there doesn't. There's no indication on how long, again, between verse uh, 1 of this chapter and the last verse at the end of chapter where it tells us that the ark had been completed and God had, Noah had done everything that God had to do. We don't know the time frame. But there could have been many days, many weeks, many months where the ark was completed and it was just sitting there. And, and it would have been very silly for Noah and his family to just go and sit and wait in the ark for the rains to come and the floods to come when God had still called them to live a life outside of the ark. Meaning it wasn't yet time. God still had things. But, but Noah, as he walked with God, as he waited on God, he waited for that time when God said, okay, in seven days, this is going to happen. This is what I want you to do. He waited on God, and, 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 and in doing so, God promised to do what He would say. And as we read this, and you look ahead to verse 4, we see that God said, Noah, it's time, seven days before the rains will come. And in doing so, Noah made all the final preparations. There wasn't an animal into the ark before that. And as Noah and his family followed the Lord's instructions, what we see is that they were ultimately trusting in the covenant process or in the covenant promise that God had made with Noah previously when he said, hey, Noah, build this ark because I want to save you and your family. And as Noah did this, as he trusted in it, he knew, I believe he knew that there was nothing to fear. Even though the storms that would bring the rains were coming. Now, another psalm that David wrote was Psalm 29. And in Psalm 29, David used the illustration of a thunderstorm in order to write a psalm, a song, that, that tells us of how he saw and heard God in that massive thunderstorm. And as David saw the, 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 the storm with the lightning and the, and, the, and the clapping of the thunder, he considered in that psalm the, the, the sovereignty and the power of God that, that, that he, that God has over all of his creation. And David thought about the storms then that brought forth the floods back in Noah's day in that psalm. And in the last two verses of that psalm, Psalm 29, verses 10 and 11, David said this. He said, he said the Lord sat enthroned at the flood. The Lord sat enthroned at the flood, and the Lord, he says, sits as king forever. 
In other words, God was in control of all of that cataclysmic events and the salvation of Noah and the destruction of the earth. As king, he ruled and reigned through all of that. And he says, God's still doing that today. And then David's conclusion or, or, or understanding because of that was this, as he said in verse 11. He said, he said, man, the Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. And in light of the words that David wrote here, we can see how God not only provided an ark of salvation for Noah and his family, that he was the one who strengthened them. He was the one that gave them peace at a time or during a time where it had to be very frightening. Not only with the things that were going on in the world around him, but with the fact that the storms were coming, the floods were coming. That the, that the earth was going to be ripped open to release the waters, what would flood the earth to a depth that everything would be covered. And, and you know, as we look at these things and see how God did that, it's a wonderful encouragement for us, I think, especially in light of all the crazy things that are going on in this world today. Whether it's with the elections, whether it's with the, 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 so many of our law enforcement officers being being shot or or our law enforcement officers shooting whatever whatever chaos is going on there or even on a global level as you begin to look at all the crazy things that are going on or maybe it's even more personal in the things that we're going on through individually and as we look at these things and see all these things going on that are crazy and consider it in light of who God is and what God does and what God did for us it reminds us that no matter how great these storms of life that we face today may be, no matter how dark this world becomes, God's still on the throne. God's still in control, causing everything to work together for good. And so at the end of those seven days of preparation, we're told that time of waiting on God, Noah and his family then obeyed God's command. And it says, righteousness was accounted to him. That Noah obeyed God's command along with his family. They entered the ark and God shut the door and made it safe. Now, as you, as you consider this and you look back to verse 1 where it declares that, I want to draw your attention that it is telling us that out of a Noah's obedience to God, righteousness was counted to him. And in turn, God was faithful to save Noah and to save his family. And I point this out because everything that God asked Noah to do Everything that God had asked Noah to do required him to believe what God had said about the coming judgment was true. But when I think about this whole account, I'm amazed at the faith that Noah demonstrated, at the, at the, at the type of faith that Noah exampled to us that moved him to do what God had commanded him. Without a doubt, Noah's example or, or Noah examples to us what it means to have that saving faith that the Bible talks about. And Scripture is clear when it tells us that, that our righteousness is like Noah's righteousness, in that his righteousness was accounted to him because he acted in faith. Likewise, our faith is how righteousness has been accounted to us through this new covenant that we've entered into that has been established through the blood sacrifice of Jesus. And like Noah who built the ark, and entered into the ark, believing that God's judgment was coming, we too believe that judgment is coming, right? We believe that judgment is coming. And as a result that, we've entered into to a faith-based relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And we put our hope in the fact that, that He was sacrificed on the cross for the payment of our sins. Do you ever think that maybe Noah, when the rain started to come, maybe it was his wife. Noah, I sure hope this boat floats. Many Christians are like that. We put our faith in Jesus Christ and we waver in it because we look ahead or we see our own sin, we see our own faults, and we know that we have the safety and the security, this faith-based relationship with Jesus Christ that we put our hope in. And we know when the end of life comes, we go, I sure hope that boat floats. Is Jesus strong enough to save? You see, it's a faith-based relationship to the, that we into, enter into. And the fact of the matter is, guys, is that like Noah, we are a people who are secure. We are a people who are secure and a people who are waiting upon God. Sadly, there are many who will not enter into the saving relationship with Jesus simply because, simply because they don't believe that there's a judgment coming. But this is no different than those who perished in the flood back in Noah's day. And in 2 Peter, the Apostle Peter writes and he tells us that like it was in Noah's day when they did not believe God about the judgment that was coming, he says, so it will be in these last days with men following their evil desires and refusing to believe God about the promised return of Jesus Christ and the judgment that He is going to bring when He comes again. Now when we consider... Noah's faith, we cannot overlook the fact that it was a faith that endured as he persevered over 120 years that it took him to build the ark. That still blows my mind. In fact, guys, I looked at it like this and I started to think about it. Noah's single act of obedience, and we know that Noah was, was obedient and following and walking with God and found grace and favor in the eyes of God even before this, and that's why God chose him for this task. This is why God, God reached out to him. But, but that single act, that single act of faith or that single act of obedience to complete what God had called him to do, that took longer for Noah to do than any, than, 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 than any one of us will ever live. His one act of obedience, 120 years, took longer than any one of us will ever live. And his example demonstrates the fact that our obedience to God is a long-term commitment. You know, we've heard it said before, this faith-based relationship, this following, this walk, that we're, this following of Jesus, this walk that we've entered into, this race that we're running, it's, it's not a sprint, right? It's a marathon if you want to look at it as a comparison. It's a long-term commitment. Remember, Noah faithfully worked on the ark, building it and finishing it all in according to the way that God had commanded. And apparently this is so important for us to understand that God made it known to us two different times. First, back in chapter 6 that we read last week in, in verse 22, and then God restates that very same truth about Noah and his obedience and his faithfulness and his steadfastness here again in verse 5. And I believe there's a good reason for this. And I believe it's something that we should take note of. And I believe that as Christians who live in the United States, we struggle with commitment, we struggle with endurance, and we struggle with perseverance because of our gotta-have-it consumer mentality that demonstrates, that, 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 dominates, that dominates our society. 
where it gets a little hard, it gets a little difficult, and, and we just switch gears or we go another direction. If we don't get it our way at Burger King, we go to McDonald's. If you have to wait too long in line at one place, you go to another place. If you don't like that one product of shelf out of the 32,000 different varieties of that one product, you just go and get another one. And I'm not saying there's anything necessarily inherently wrong about that in itself. I think we're blessed. And if you ever travel out of this country, you know that you don't have those kinds of luxuries afforded to you like we do here. But nevertheless, it kind of breeds a, a, a mentality, a way of life that we here in America uh, are inundated with that we as Christians are probably um, uh, negatively affected by. And consequently, this mentality, this way of life that we're so immersed in makes it hard for so many to complete something that takes even more than just a few days of stick to to complete, to accomplish. But obviously, this is not a problem that is exclusive to the time or to the place that we live in because the Word of God repeatedly admonishes those who believe in Jesus to have endurance in their faith, to have endurance in our faith, and to not forsake those promises, that hope in God that we have. For example, guys, in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 35 through 36, it says, Do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promises. In other words, in those verses, God's simply saying, I know it's going to get hard, I know it's going to be difficult, but hang in there, it's worth it. Have endurance, have perseverance, don't lose hope in the promises of God, because it's worth it. Also in Hebrews chapter 2, verses, verses 1 through 3, we're told to run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and now he is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He says, do this because consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. In other words, the, the author of Hebrews, who I believe is Paul, is simply saying, he's saying, that boat, Jesus, it floats. It won't let you down. Look at the price that he paid so that you may be secure in him. Don't abandon that. He's trustworthy. He's faithful. You have a need for endurance. You have a need for a perseverance. Stay in that place that God has called you into, into that relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, if you look to verse 10 with me, it says in chapter 7, as we continue on now, it says, and He, again, waiting securely in, or excuse me, in verse 7, I'm in chapter 7, I'm in chapter 8, it says in verse 10, and it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were on the earth. And in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month of the 17th day of the month, and on that day, the fountains of the great deep were broken up, and the windows of heaven were open. Now, this verse begins a detailed account that the rest of the verses kind of make a whole picture known for us. And in these verses that remain, we're, we're told that really that promised day of reckoning and the flood that was God's judgment on a wicked world, we're told that it came to pass. 
that God had spoken about it. He had, he had prophesied about it for hundreds of years leading up to this, calling people to repent. He had, he had instructed Noah about it and told Noah what to do. And then all of these things come to fruition here in verses 10 through 24. So according to verse 11, God was the one who opened up the windows of heaven, allowing for the rain to come down upon the earth. And he caused also the springs of the great deep to burst forth so that even the highest mountains were covered by water. Not a dry piece of land was left. In light of this, we need to remember that God had been calling up to this point the inhabitants of the earth to repent. But now, it was too late. The door on the ark had been closed. God's judgment was raining down in fulfillment to what God had said. And in spite of the warnings, people were now coming to see that what God had said was true and that they were perishing as a result of their own decisions. In light of this, we need to remember that God's a gracious God. We need to see that, that God's a merciful God, that His desire is for all to be saved, even today as it was back then, that none would perish. And God, we know, has once again been patiently calling mankind to turn from their wicked ways and to be restored to them, to be restored to Him. But guys, just like there was a time coming in Noah's day when the door on the ark was closed and the waters began to come down and the judgment of God was being poured out, there is coming a time when it will be too late for the people who are alive today to take advantage of the forgiveness, to take advantage of the restoration that God has waiting for them. Not only should this give us a sense of urgency in the call that we've been called to, but it also would remind us of the words of Isaiah in chapter 55, verse 6, which says, Seek the Lord while He may be found, and call upon Him while He is near. I love that verse in the New Testament that says, Today is the day of salvation. Today. One of the other cool things to notice in these verses is this detailed accounting of the whole event which reinforces the fact that that these things are real historical events. Great detail goes, goes into making that known to us. For example, in verse 12, it tells us that the rain stopped after 40 days. After 40 days and 40 nights, the rain stopped. And when we look back to verse 11, which records when the flooding began, we can conclude that the rain stopped. We're given the exact day of the exact month and the exact year in relationship to Noah's life. That the rain stopped those 40-some days later, those exact 40 days later, on the 27th day of the third month. However, we're also told in verse 24 that it reached its peak, that the waters continued to rise, and, and, and for an additional 150 days, or, or for a total of 150 days, which means after the 40 days of rain, the water continued to arise for another 110 days. And if we look even a bit further ahead to chapter 8, you can, you can just kind of glance over there. But in verses 3 through 6, we see that at the time, or we're told that at the time that the ark came to rest on the, on the top of the mountains or on a peak uh, of the mountains of Ararat, it did so on the seventh month of the 17th day. God just didn't say, oh, sometimes in the future this happened. It's not. It's detailed. It's purposeful because these are real things that, that we can put our faith and hope in. They're, they're historical accounts. 
And finally, according to verse 14, we even told that two months and ten days after that, in the second month, on the 27th day, Noah and his family finally left the ark and set the animals free. Now, there are two things in these remaining verses that I want to point out to you that really stand out to me as significant. The first is in verse 13. If you want to look there, it tells us that Noah, when Noah entered the ark, that his family followed him. And secondly, in verse 15, it tells us that all the animals were gathered together on the ark by God, and they, pretty much, they on their own went in to Noah. And I believe the fact that God brought these animals to Noah, to the ark, and then into the ark as God did all the work of, of gathering them and, and, and doing this, it points out an important fact. Something that we need to key in on and be aware of. Because as you study through this, nowhere in this account, either back in chapter 6, all the way through chapter 7, nowhere in this account was Noah told how the animals that he was commanded to build the ark for would be gathered. Remember, Noah was only told, Noah only commanded to build the ark, and God gave him great instruction in how to do so. But that was the only instruction that Noah was given. And I suppose Noah, knowing what the ark was for, had to have thought at some point, how are all of these animals going to be gathered? How am I going to get them all? And how am I going to get them all into this, into this boat? I'm sure it crossed his mind. Maybe once, even twice during the process. I know it would have crossed mine. Probably would have crossed yours. God, this is fine. I can do this. But what about this? What about that? And, and, and even Noah, Noah more than likely had thought about this or even considered this and maybe even worried about it. I don't know. We see that he never ever made any provision for it. He was simply faithful to do the part that God had called him to do. And in doing so, he trusted in the fact that God would provide for the rest, for all the other things that needed to be done. And the point is, is, is you and I, we can become overwhelmed by the things that God calls us to do because we take our eyes off of the part that we've been asked to do, the part that we've been called to do, the part that we've been instructed to do. And in doing so, we place them on the, what if this happens, God? Or on the, how is this going to be done? And the fact of the matter is, is there's always going to be unknowns as we do the things that God calls us to do, as we do the things that God's commanded us to do or instructed us to do. But even though we would like to have all the answers to the what ifs and to the how wills, we can trust in God. We can trust that He has a plan even though He may not make His plan completely known to us. And I believe that God operates in this manner because His desire is for us to trust in Him along the way. And His desire, His desire is that He would be glorified through the process. And that we would see the awesome things that He has done. That we would look back and go, Look what God has done, not, not what I have done. Therefore, we must stay focused. Hey, thanks. We must stay focused 
on whatever it is that God's called us to do. What has God called you to do? We're to do that and not worry about everything or anything else. We're not to worry about the rest because, and, and we can have that peace and we can have that comfort when we know that His plan, that God's plan, will always be revealed to us at just the right time. That the provision that will be needed in that moment, at that place, at that time, God will make it. God will provide it. And when we're secure in Him, when we understand that God is our safety, that He's our security, that it's His plan that we're being a part of, we can trust in the fact that it'll take place. Now, one of the other things, like I said, that we need to consider in verse 13 is that it tells us that Noah entered the ark and his family basically followed after him in order to receive the salvation that God promised to them. And in order to see the significance of this, you need to go back to chapter 6, verse 18 to look at that promise. And when we do that, we have to keep in mind, and I know I've mentioned this before, but there's another reason for why I mention it now. But at the time that Noah was given this promise, at the time that Noah was given this command, it tells us that he was 480 years old. Well, here we're told that when Noah entered the ark, he was 600. And that at that time, when he was 600, when the ark was complete, he and his family were able to enter in it, and it saved them. It did save them from the flood that came, just like God had said it would. And this is profound, guys. Think about it when you begin to take this whole account. It's profound in the sense that when Noah began to build the ark, it was 20 years before his first son was even born. Noah had no kids. And God told him, no, I want to save you and your family through this. And this is an encouraged thing to think of because Noah's faithfulness and his endurance and his perseverance to follow after God and to obey God, it is what brought the salvation to him and it is what brought the salvation to his family, to even his unborn children at the time that God had made the promise. And the point is, God who keeps His promises wants to and will use our faithfulness and our endurance and our perseverance in saving our own kids and being an influence and a light to those around us who see God working in us and see God working through us. All Noah's kids knew was Dad was building this ark. They didn't know any difference. They've seen the faith that He was placing in the ark. And our kids see the faith that we place in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior day after day, in and out as we go through trials, as we go through difficulties, as we put our hope and our faith in those promises of God. And it is God saying that this is the means that I will use to influence your children in seeing that the ark is the means for salvation, that Jesus is the means for their own salvation. Now, in spite of the devastation that was on the outside of the ark that was going on after Noah and his family had entered in, we know that he and the animals that were in the ark were secure. And no matter how they must have felt or how much the ark tossed on the water, they knew that they were safe in God's will. And as the ark carried them through the storms and on top of the flood of the, on the on top of the flood waters 
they waited for God to complete His work and put them back on the earth. They didn't jump out. They didn't see the waters begin to rest or the, God, the waters begin to, to decline even when they were on top of the mountain and then rush out. They waited on God. They, worked on, they, they, they waited on God to be able to, to, to make the right time for these things to take place. And, and, and when, we, when we see the whole account, we can figure out that Noah and his family in total, they spent, they spent one year and 17 days in the ark. You know what? And that's a long time. I don't know about you, but, but one year and 17 days in the ark must have seemed at times very overwhelming. But they waited. And, 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 and all of these things is a reminder for us of what we read back in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36. Where it tells of how it was that, that how Noah and his family, through faith and patience, inherited the promises of God. That how we, guys, in this world that we're living in, in the days that we've been appointed to, in the time, these last days, that, that we too, through our faith and through our patience, inherit the promised blessings of God. And guys, Noah was willing to do this his family was willing to do this because they knew that they were secure. They knew that they were secure in the things that God had provided and they were willing to wait on the Lord. In closing, if the worship team wants to come up, I want to point out that the Apostle Peter, he saw in Noah's experience that we've been reading about for the last couple of weeks, the Apostle Peter saw a picture of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ in the account of Noah and what we've been reading. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18-22, through 22, Peter, he recounted how the earth in Noah's day was immersed in water, covered. But he also accounted how the ark floated above the water and it was able to bring Noah's family to the place of safety. And to Peter, this was a picture of baptism. Specifically, baptism and relationship as, a, as an illustration for us of the death and burial and resurrection. And Peter went on to say, he said that the earth was, was did, that it was buried through the flood because of the water. But the ark rose up like Jesus was risen up. And that the ark rose up, which is a picture of the resurrection, to bring Noah and his family through the storm Safely and securely. Likewise for us, we see the same through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That Jesus, He, was, he, he, he died and He was buried and He rose again. And through, through His finished work on the cross, through His death and resurrection, we too have salvation. We have salvation from sin. And we too have come into a, a, a faith-based relationship with Jesus Christ. We can safely and securely trust in God, rely upon the promises, no matter what is going on in this world around us. And I'm here to tell you guys, it doesn't matter what president we get. It doesn't matter what laws are passed. And whether our government officials or in this country that we live in, or, or, or whether ISIS has stopped. None of those things matter in the sense that it has, none of those things can dethrone 
our God. And as we see all of these things taking place, just like we did as we read about what was going on in Noah's day, we can trust in the fact that God's in control. We can trust in the fact that everything that goes on is a part of His divine plan. And we can trust in the fact that we have a secure place in Jesus Christ that protects us ultimately from the things that are going on. And I pray this morning, God, that this would give us great hope. I pray, God, that this would give us comfort. I pray, God, that this would also encourage us to share the hope and faith that we have in Your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, that we would know that no matter how dark it gets, no matter how high the waters rise, no matter how, how loud the thunder becomes and, 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 or how close the lightning strikes, God, that we're safe in You. Lord, we trust in You. And we reaffirm that this morning. I pray, God, that, that for those who are going through personal trials and struggles, Lord, who feel the discouragement of the storm, who feel overwhelmed by the, 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 the burdens and cares of this life, God, that they would rest in You. God, that You would give them that joy and that peace as they wait on You. God, that they would seek to make the relationship that they have with You right so that they would be influential in the lives of those around them. Father, we want to be the church that is used by You, that shines into this darkness that is prevailing and is pervasive in this world that we live in, even in our own community, Lord. So I pray, God, that You would give us opportunity. I pray, God, that we would be willing to go to where You send us, to do what You've asked us to do, to trust in You, and God, as we are filled with joy, that we would sing praises of, 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 of what You've given to us and how You've provided for us. Father, we love You and we worship You. And God, we pray that we would honor You in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name, Amen. Hey guys, why don't you stand with us and Justin and the team will lead us in one last song of worship.